how's it going? Welcome to the Note to Self podcast. I'm your host, Jojo, and this is your ultimate mindset space where we unpack all of the advice you so easily dish out to your bestie, but forget to remind yourself of. We're going deep on all the things that are holding you back from becoming the most confident, sassy, empowered, fabulous, and most importantly, truest version of you. Are you ready? Let's jump in. Katie, welcome to the podcast. I hope you're fabulous. How are you? I am divine. How are you? Good. I'm okay. I feel like this episode is, well, it has been such a long time coming because we have Mm. spent the last, what, month trying (laughs) to get this podcast episode booked in. And well, I'd like to say we're both useless, but really it's been me. I've been like, yeah, let's do it tomorrow. And then I'm like, no, 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 I'm poorly. Let's do it in several years time that is like so overly polite because I feel as though whenever you have I've been like a second away from being like can we do next week or I'll like put it to you to be like we can do next week if you want and you're like yeah and I'm like oh my god thank fuck yeah this is one on human thing especially when we're both like we're both so like chill when it comes Mm. to like schedules and stuff like that that we're literally like just whenever like even today (laughs) we were like yeah let's maybe say 12 but also just whenever so we both booked out the entire day and it's currently half two and we're only just sitting down to do it cba but we have literally basically been podcasting each other for the last month back Mm. and forth like eight nine ten minute long voice notes so i feel like this is now just going to be one of our voice notes exactly. <laughs> luxury absolute luxury it's how they crept up as well we're just like oh my god this one's like four minutes and then suddenly we're like 10 minutes is standard <laughs> yeah it's like if it's any less than 10 minutes i'm like is she mad at me <laughs> do you not love me anymore do you hear me? <laughs> yeah like dead chat oh, okay cheers son <laughs> um but i before we even get into this i feel like i need to tell the world that you were the person that made me realize that the word jobby doesn't mean job <laughs> you tell me what jobby actually means oh my basically on my instagram i was like oh, i can't even remember what i said but i was like basically oh, i said something like um oh, it's a it's gonna be a bit of a i don't know errand jobby today or whatever <laughs> and you literally replied like what the hell are you talking about Tell me what jobby means where you I feel, like, I feel like as Scotland as a whole, we have so many words that are just like, excuse me, but especially like where I am, I feel like my vocabulary really confuses people. So jobby is actually like nationwide in Scotland. It's not one of my weird ones. And it's, it's shit. It's literally shit. It's going and doing a shit. So when you're like, oh, it's going to be like a job of the day, I was like, pardon? <laughs> for god's sake i'm literally like cba for me the thing is as well i'm such an uncultured swine like i've got absolutely no freaking idea what anything means but what we will do is translate for any words or phrases that come up from katie we will translate as we go um because i know i know it's sometimes there's a language barrier (laughs) <laughs> oh it just it comes out but like I can see your face to be like you don't know what I just said <laughs> I done it the other day where like I don't know what we we're talking about but I was like oh it was absolutely dreech or something and then immediately I was like yes, you said you this, don't me, this is on my voice now what you said <laughs> you, you explained what it was afterwards mm-hmm. if you're if it's dreech it means it's like dreech outside so it's like raining miserable a bit grey so like if I say I'm feeling a bit dreech it just means I'm feeling a bit blah a bit grey a bit miserable meh. Yeah, bit meh. meh. I was like, oh, it's just a bit dreech. And then I was like, sorry. <laughs> you don't say that. 
I love it. And what was it as well the other day where you said, um, oh, you said about Carol, you were like, oh, I can say the, I can say the mm-hmm. woman's name, Carol, but I can't say the man's name, Carol. And I was like, sorry, mm-hmm. men are named Carol. And you were mm-hmm. like, no, no, no. That was my first exercise in accepting that I can't control everything and I can't have it all because the ma- the man's name Carol, K-A-R-L, and the woman's name Carol, C-A-R-O-L, sound the exact same in my voice. Carol and Carol. Constantly like roll hours, you, you can't. So I just had to accept, like, I can't, I can't have it all. <laughs> I love it. You literally, in my faith, human. Right. <laughs> Tell me, because we should probably get into the podcast now. Tell me who you are, what you do, what you help people achieve. Talk me through it. So online coach and training to be a therapist, EIQ certified, nutritionist, all these wee nice bits. And basically, I help people who feel an ailment of being at war with themselves or maybe a bit disconnected from themselves to feel phenomenal in their bodies, change them if they want to and heal their relationship with food. This is, I mean, we know that especially the fitness industry, the, this sort of world that we, we stepped away from slightly. Um, it's very easy to get sucked back into, oh, okay, let's change bodies. Let's change bodies because yeah. well, that's what people want. Do you know what I mean? It's what, or mm-hmm. I guess rather it's what people think they want. Mm-hmm. And so how do you, how do you kind of approach or bridge that gap from like people assuming that that's what they want they want to change their bodies because they know that will make them feel better in their own skin Mm -hmm. and that will stop them fighting against themselves how do you get people from that point there to actually it's not about your body at all Mm -hmm. like bridge that gap yeah I think from the very get-go I'm always like it's always their own autonomy it's their body they can change it if they want like I'll never the only time I will say I am absolutely not going to diet you or change your body or anything like that as if it's a genuine health concern or it's just not beneficial to health in any way like if you're currently in a healthy body and you're like no I want to get super lean why why would we sacrifice these things so from the very get-go we talk about how we want to actually feel as opposed to really zoning in on I want to be this way or I want to be this size it's like right okay we want to change our bodies a bit but why do we want to change them what are we looking for from a changed body like what feeling are we looking for and I think you very much know yourself it involves like some uncomfortable conversations sometimes if someone's like no I really really want to like pure cut my calories this week and do this and do that and you're like okay but do we want to cut the calories because we actually need them or did something happen last week and we were like I need to cut my calories that's it I'm blaming my body I'm blaming my food that's what's mm-hmm. happening and it's it can be uncomfortable but it is a lot of the time just asking them questions around the actual feeling they're looking from or looking for and what they think changing their body will actually achieve and actually change. Yeah. And do you know what? So much of that, that's really coming from that place of we don't really know what we feel. And mm-hmm. so we cover that up by wanting to change our bodies because it's something we can control, right? So yeah it's so much of it I feel like always comes back to a sense of well this is something I can control and this is something I'm in charge of and this is something that I know has made me feel better in the past potentially 
So that's what I'm going to do to kind of put the plaster on the real problem. How do you, with your clients, dig deeper to find that real problem, to find the thing that they're genuinely feeling rather than trying to cover up? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that one. We So we we do have calls and stuff and we talk about it together. But I always say to my clients, calls are more so for me to listen more than anything else. I'm not there to be like, this is your solution. I'm there on your calls to help you get there and support you to get to what feels right for you so some of it and I say it to them all the time I do this like toddler interrogation thing like exercise where I'm like imagine you're a toddler or I'm quite happy to be the toddler and I'm just going to keep asking you why or what does that mean if you're like right I really need to change my body and I'll go well why and they're like because I'm uncomfortable right okay well what does that mean what is uncomfortable like all that sort of thing sometimes it does involve being the voice that people need to hear but don't want to in that moment because it can be a bit frustrating or a lot of what my clients do are journal-based guided homework each week that's like therapeutic informed so very much within my scope of practice but aiming to get them to sit reflect themselves and really dig in and figure it out because exactly as you said a lot of the time we don't know what we feel and we were never really taught how to know what we feel. So we use these blanket terms of I feel fat or I feel stressed and these kind of things without being like, right, well, what do I actually feel? Because stress is a feeling, but it's such a such a blanket for so many others. So it's like we just kind of toddler interrogate. We do guided homework. We have calls and we just very much have this really nice environment of nothing you can say is wrong like nothing and it's there's never going to be any judgment it's never going to go further it really is just like a wee non-consequential space where you can safely do that work and not feel alone while you do it mm. because it can it can be daunting sitting digging into that and no one else is there yeah so no one you can so dig important. in because mm. I think so many I think coaches in general get a bad name for being quite or I guess lacking compassion. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that's hugely missing in our industry is just a compassionate approach. And mm-hmm. compassion isn't always like, let's wrap a blanket around you and be super fluffy and not give you, you know, the, the, yeah. the I guess, tough love sometimes. I think people mistake that, don't they? Where they think, oh, you know, you can't give tough love if you're compassionate. It's like, no, actually tough love sometimes is the thing that's needed mm-hmm. but I love what you said about the the digging deeper on the why we you call it the toddler what was it the toddler toddler interrogation toddler like interrogation. that really annoying toddler that just goes why why yes what that's that so mean? much better I yeah. call it goal setting onion because oh. you take off oh, layer. layers <laughs> Love. yours is so much cooler but I've been literally for years I've been trying to find a better name for that and you just I'm gonna steal that from you you're gonna have to trademark it bitch because I'm, I'm stealing it um but I love that because as well the surface level goals mm-hmm. that we tend to have you know get fit lose weight feel good whatever look good naked it's like that a lot of the time they're surface level to cover up the thing that we deeply deeply desire mm-hmm. or or maybe even deeply fear and being able to keep unpicking those layers and keep interrogating and just mm-hmm. asking the questions again and again and again yeah. tends to eventually get to the point where we find that deep goal and we find mm-hmm. that like aha moment of, oh shit, that's why I'm doing it. Yeah. What do you find the most common, that's why I'm doing it, answers are for your, your people? 
I think a lot comes down to really similar beliefs of things like I'm not enough or as people, as humans, we, we naturally fear abandonment, but some people might have it a bit more severe. And especially if we've struggled with our self-confidence or self-esteem, which has nothing to do with our bodies, that fear of abandonment becomes so much worse because we think if everyone in my life abandons me, no one else will have me, I'm fucked. Whereas if we can be confident and we can work on our self-worth out with our bodies, even if that worst case scenario happened, which it won't, we know we'll be all right, we know we'll handle it. Like we can we can explore those things without having an absolute meltdown. But I think that if I don't look a certain way, everyone will leave me. Or I'm not good enough, so I need to do this to become good enough. Mm. Or there's that kind of association that we see so often. We like, oh, look at my client who's lost this much and now she's getting a job and now she's got that. And because we're showing the bodies, we naturally, we naturally associate that it's the body. Like she's successful because her body's smaller and we don't even realise we're doing it. So... I think that's probably the most common is that I'm not good enough the way I am or I really need to rely on other people's versions of how I should be. And this kind of shaking idea of who we actually are, like that, that's quite a common one. Yeah. Where do you think that comes from? Because I mean, I hear that all the time in my coaching. I'm not good enough or, or I'm not enough or I'm too much. Either way, mm-hmm. you're not, you're not yes. just right. You know, yeah. you're not, um, you're not, perfectly fabulous the way you are there's always something to you're mm-hmm. you're off center somehow yep. and then also the the other one that you said of what's the other one you said <laughs> that kind of like fear and abandonment and being like that's it, gonna yeah. hate me if I'm not like this worrying people worrying you're gonna lose people over mm-hmm. it and I think why do you think people then start to go, okay, I need to change my body to fix that? Why, why do you think that comes from? I think it's because some it's something that is ours and so controllable by us. So when we, something that we see a lot as well is this kind of, we fear not controlling things because we've maybe felt out of control a lot of times in our life, like something's maybe happened to us or all these different things. And our bodies and our food is a very manageable our thing that we can target. So we are these big these big things seem so scary, like fearing everyone will leave me, and maybe that's because I was bullied at school, or fearing that I'm not good enough or I'm too much because growing up I was emotional and people told me I was too much, all these kind of things. It's so much easier and so much more comfortable to blame our bodies and food and micromanage those than it is to be like right okay let's look at this but it's kind of like if we just constantly change our bodies and we don't figure out the things that have led to our bodies being whatever they are just now like if we emotionally eat if we overeat we undereat, all these different things if we just address our bodies and not these beliefs and behaviors we're basically just the way I kind of put it is you're continuously scooping cups of water out a boat rather than patching up the hole mm. and it's exhausting it's so exhausting and it doesn't matter how much water you get out it keeps coming in doesn't matter how much your body changes you're still going to feel it because we've got the evidence there as well that it, it's nothing to do with your body like very little evidence that we have and even that's subjective 
And even I think so much of that is really about the fact that you are just because you're blaming your body. Mm -hmm. Naturally, that's creating this belief that there's something wrong with you and therefore your body. Mm -hmm. And so you're constantly fighting against it. You're never working with your body. You're never, you know, seeing what she can do, seeing how fabulous she is. You're always fighting against your body in some way. Mm -hmm. Why do you think there's such a a disconnect between yourself, your mind, your spirit, and your body? Where do you think that comes from and how do we fix it? I think a lot of it comes from, if not all of it comes from environment in the way that, especially as women, we've always been equated to our bodies. We've always been objects to be looked at and enjoyed. And all you have to do is think back to being a child and being called oh you were such a pretty child or you have such lovely hair and then as you were getting into high school it was very much like oh who's the prettiest girl in the year who's this who's that and all the people in our like the adults in our life were dieting or talking about their bodies everything on the telly hailed bodies it was always about bodies so we've really rooted ourselves in our body when actually our body is just the vessel that carries us, the vehicle that carries us. And we are everything out with that. So we kind of disconnect for our body in this way of she becomes our enemy. She becomes what's letting us down rather than being on our team and something that we can look after. So we disconnect from her in that way, but then we, we really embed our worth in her and our value as a person because that's what we've always been told men and everyone else as well but I think just especially as women we've always been told our bodies are all that we are yeah and and the problem as well Mm -hmm. like yeah Yeah. that the our bodies are the most important thing about us or the most valued asset shall Mm -hmm. we say that we have and if there's and uh, I mean literally constant media freaking magazines when we were younger like I talk about all the time you've got that comparison of like someone's wearing like two celebrities wearing the same outfit and it's like who would it be yeah yeah And I just think like so much of that as we've grown up has massively encouraged us to be comparing our bodies to other people, to be feeling not worthy, to be, you know, looking at people that are airbrushed and photoshopped and all of these things and feel like we're not good enough. And I think filters straight away play a huge role in that. And I've actually really um, committed to being... Mm -hmm uh filter free when it comes mm-hmm. to like the instagram you know because i as soon as i start using them again as well i feel the difference in like yeah. i'm so confident at the moment showing up without the filter you know mm-hmm. i'm not gonna lie honeys every time i will you know every so often i'll swipe across the little cheeky paris filter but mm-hmm. the actual filters that change your face shape you know your the jaw your everything yeah yeah it's like those are so detrimental because they show us that like we're not good enough as we are we like we have to have the thinner nose the chiseled jaw the um higher cheekbones do you know what i mean we have to have all those the bigger lips all of those mm-hmm. things we've got to do to feel accepted but it's not normal and it's not what normal the, the you know the large majority of the population actually um 
you know look like mm-hmm. and so we're, we're stuck in this Instagram world of like well if I'm not using a filter then nobody's going to care about me or nobody's going to value me because yeah. everyone else has got the filter so I need to use the filter to make sure that I'm like keeping up with it do you know what I mean and mm-hmm. I think that when you when you really step back from those parts of social media it's it's a lot easier to accept yourself for who you are and stop fighting I think filters are a huge way we kind of fight our bodies and our and our faces and ourselves mm-hmm. to be you know to stop trying to fit in with the crowd or, or be what what we think is the idea of perfection mm-hmm. how do you feel about filters not a fan for exactly that reason I feel like they they do absolutely feel comparison with you and it gives you that idea of this is how you should look and every time you use one, the way you feel when you take it off, what's that doing to your confidence? That you, your face doesn't look that way. Like what message are you communicating to yourself that you have to change your face in order to show up, even though you could be saying the most valuable thing. You could be changing someone's day, but you need to change your face first in order for people to listen. Like, and I, I was reading some research on it not long ago because I'm getting into schools soon, high schools to talk about body image and everything like that because we know a poor body image is the number one predictor of eating disorders and there's no support for it in schools there's none whereas eating disorder cases are going up and space to treat them is going down so there needs an intervention sort of thing and I was reading some research on it and so interestingly we have these conversations around young girls and young people that are like celebrities that like you see them in magazines, it's not real, it's photoshopped. You expect these big Photoshop or photo shoots to be edited. So what this research found was that it wasn't so much these celebrities and stuff that were impacting children's body images that we always blame. We blame the Kardashians, they're easy scapegoats. We blame celebrities, but it was actually comparison within their own social circles. So within people they go to school with, within people that they're friends with, and seeing their Instagrams and these filters were seen to be highly increasing negative impacts on body images comparing themselves to their their pals who have these filters on that was having more of an impact than comparing to these celebrities that get the blame so interesting because I mean we do and and I, I I so get that. And I, I think we'll we'll talk about this in a second with the Kardashians because I feel like it's important. It's a question I want to ask you. But mm-hmm. when it comes to the peer groups then, those children, those young people, they're seeing those people in real life too. So it mm-hmm. kind of seems crazy that we'd have that um, comparison on social media mm-hmm. when social media is, again, it's, you know, online, it's virtual, whatever. Yep. But in real life, like we don't value that in real life as much as we do mm-hmm. online. And it's, that's so interesting that it's more the peer groups that are the people that they're comparing themselves to and they're feeling inadequate against, even though they know what they look like in real life. Like, exactly. How does that makes sense. Exactly. And it's that, that's what's so scary about it is that they have both sides right there but it doesn't seem to have much of an impact on how that then affects them and all you need to do as well is look at social media where even with us if we put a picture of ourselves up we know that gets more likes and attention and comments than a reel or slides that are really designed to help people who emotionally eat or want to grow their business all these different things like 
pictures of us will get more attention because we've been so so taught and so normalized to compliment people on their appearance so even even like adults in these young girls lives being like oh my god you've grown so much you look beautiful and young people in general the comments on their social media every time they get a like a comment saying they're stunning they they internalize that as and as we all do right that comment was to do with my body so that's what's important Mm. we don't we don't really see comments as to do with like you're a really good person you are so kind like you make my chest feel warm like we don't see that yeah and I think that's so severely missed how do we like how do we kind of because I mean obviously the easy the the easy fix for most of us is to start actively complimenting other people for who -hmm. they are and for what they bring to the table in terms of just like their personality and their vibe and their energy and Mm -hmm. being able to give compliments in that way will obviously help us to naturally reduce the amount of body um focus we have Mm -hmm on ourselves and on others so I think the comparison in terms of looking at other people as well like I always say if you walk down the street and you see five women in the street how much are you judging them internally as well and if you can stop doing that so much you start to you stop assuming other people are doing it about you and then you stop judging yourself naturally Mm -hmm. so if you can compliment more people for their vibe let's say instead of their bodies and their or their appearance in some way like I've been really conscious of doing that as well like if I see someone like like looks super cute on a post I'm like I'll double tap and then I'll, I'll start being like oh my god you look funny and then I'm like mm-hmm. what a goddess instead because uh-huh. I'm, like, I'm really conscious about doing it now like what other interventions could we put in place mm-hmm. to help us build a world that is less focused on female body or appearance mm-hmm. versus creating a world that's full of like us just living our best lives and loving each other for who we are rather than what we look like how do we do that I think in terms of compliments it can be really uncomfortable to start with like see just accepting it can be really uncomfortable to comment on people's personality rather than their looks because a lot of the time we'll overthink that and be like oh my god they're going to think I think they're ugly because again it's so deeply programmed that that's the most important thing so allowing yourself to like it's not a bad thing to call like compliment someone's appearance that's not a bad thing it becomes bad when that's all we compliment that's all they ever hear like I always use my niece as an example because she'll say she'll come in show me her dress or something she'll be like I look pretty and I'm like yeah you look pretty and then I'll also tell her she's funny and kind and these kind of things so it's not all about her looks like you can still compliment someone but don't make that all you compliment them on yeah and I think what you were saying as well about when you start comparing yourself flipping that into a compliment can be so useful like really useful like complimenting them on something about them rather than how they look and then something about you that's not how you look I think that can be really really useful and also removing the kind of shame from being judgy because that's something that we were brought up doing and I know we've spoke about that before, before we had been through our own kind of processes with like therapy and feeling better on ourselves. We were quite nasty people quite a lot. And it's never about that person. It's always about how you're feeling. You, you project that. And rather than shaming yourself, if you notice yourself judging somebody 
or being like, oh my God, what are they wearing? Rather than shaming yourself, because if you just talk to yourself like, you're a fucking horrible bastard, like, why would you think that? That's terrible. Where do you have to go for there? Like, you've backed yourself into this corner of shame and you've got no opportunity to change. Whereas if you just kind of remind yourself that judgment and all these kind of emotions we think are ugly, like envy and guilt and stuff like that, are actually really normal. Arrogance, so they're human, they're there. So rather than taking it as an opportunity to shame yourself, take it as an opportunity if you judge someone to think, right, why is that making me feel like that? Why is that triggering me? Because that's nothing to do with her. What is that? What can I do about that with me? Why do I think that's a bad thing? Why do I think that that's something to be judged on? And just catching yourself on it. Mm. And where you can absolutely tell yourself that's not a good thing to do, don't just shame yourself and then leave it there because what are you going to do for there? Yeah, and I think that's so, like, I always say that, like, sometimes guilt can be a really positive thing because mm-hmm. it shows you that you're living out of line with your values and what yeah. you care about and what you think is important. But when you add shame on top, that's mm-hmm. adding shit on top of shit. And it's the unnecessary part because you're beating yourself up for, like you said, being human. Mm-hmm. And so when those things happen, meet that with curiosity rather than judgment. And so whenever yeah. you find yourself judging a situation, a person, yourself, whatever, mm-hmm. you get to go, huh? Instead of being like, you're a shitbag for doing that, you get to be like, hmm, interesting. That's mm-hmm. curious. Why did I do that? What's that bringing up for me? Why has that mm-hmm. made me feel a certain type of way? And how can we either move differently next time so that, the you know, we're not adding that shame, we're not be, be or adding that guilt and moving out of line with what we really believe in but also like where's that come from what's the belief there that's making me feel that certain you know that type of way towards someone and a lot of it is just like you see the the things that someone else has that you don't so for example if you see someone excuse me walking down the street and they're in like a sassy I don't know like short skirt outfit or whatever like they're looking real like dramatic sassy Mm -hmm. it's easy for us to go why is she wearing that like that's such a common narrative that we have in our mind but really a lot of it stems back to well because I don't have the confidence to wear something like that Mm -hmm. because I'm worried about my legs and if I ever wore that I'd feel judged and Mm so I'm naturally going to judge that other person so again it's you know it's annoyingly it's natural it's just the the way that humans have been for so many years how do you think the the comparison that we face obviously when something like that happens we tend to blame our bodies we tend to blame ourselves and again it goes back to that kind of fighting ourselves being at war is up with ourselves mm-hmm. and and not being fully supportive and I guess just being on your own team how mm-hmm. do we get to a point where we we, we tend to place that blame externally on other things. And I guess this goes back to the Kardashian thing of we blame the Kardashians for our po- poor body image issues and our relationships with food when we see them, you know, overtraining, eating salads, mm-hmm. getting all of the surgery. But mm, is that is that slander? Don't know. But do you know <laughs> what I mean? Like we, we see all of these things happening and we blame ourselves for not being there or we blame, but we also blame them for the way we feel. Same with slimming clubs, right? We blame slimming clubs for our poor relationship with food, for thinking foods are good and bad. We tend to place not only on ourselves, but we tend to place that blame externally mm-hmm. on, you know, all of the all of the things that have made it this way. And that's, you know, yes, 
they've got a lot to answer for and they've got a lot to kind of they do definitely contribute to our negative views mm-hmm. on foods and our bodies and our lives in general but it's how do we take that and and keep our responsibility to instead of saying you know woe is me this sucks they're toxic I hate it and and staying in that place of shame staying in that place of nothing will ever get better because everybody else is against me and I'm against myself so you kind of Mm -hmm. sit and stay stuck in that I don't know instead of taking action to change how do we go about taking responsibility to make those changes and resolve and heal the things that the so that we become so resilient towards the Instagram filters towards the Mm -hmm you know, Photoshop towards the selling sunset um, TV shows and things like that. Mm-hmm. How do we come become resilient enough to be able to let those things be happening? Because let's be honest, they're not going to change. Mm-hmm. How do we become like able to just say, yeah, cool, you do you. I'm going to still be okay being me. How do mm-hmm. we make that change? I think, so I go through quite a lot of different tools with my clients to kind of come together within that facet. But I think, like, letting go of blame is one of the most of, like, you feel like you can take a deep breath. Like, when you just let go of blame, and I very much know that can be much harder if that comes from a place of trauma. Like, I get that. I went through clinical therapy to help let go of blame. But we're so used to looking for someone to blame when actually like sitting with that and being able to ask yourselves, what do I get? There's obviously certain situations where like in crime, people are to blame, they should be, all that kind of thing. But like in terms of a body on the telly triggering you, rather than you kind of have that choice of, right, do I want to spend my energy sifting through, right, who's to blame for me feeling like this? Like what's who can I blame here? Who can I be angry at? rather than spending energy like that, would we actually be better spending that energy asking ourselves, well, I know I'm not to blame. I don't know who's to blame, but I know it's my responsibility. And that's a really empowering thing. That doesn't mean that it's your fault. That doesn't mean that, oh, tough shit, you need to deal with it. It's a case of, it's shit. It's shit that you feel like that. It's shit that that's happened. It's shit that these things exist that we wish didn't, but they always will, accepting that it will. And being able to say to yourself, now it's my responsibility because if I want to feel different about it, it's only me who can. It's only me who can change my lens. My lens. Let me say the legs. There. Change, my <laughs> legs. change my lens. Um, to then feel different about that. And I think things like the comparison as well. I, I had a client podcast on this. It was either this week or last week where we spoke about it because I, it's something I'm very interested in. We've got a lot of research to do with comparison because you can see it as a helpful thing, but also for the majority, it's not. And I think something that can be so helpful with that is knowing your actual values in life. So then when you compare yourself to someone else, asking yourself, if I actually had that, would I be fulfilled? Because I still get it. I have a great relationship with my body. I coach people to have a great relationship with their bodies, but I still might see someone who is super muscular because I'm not super muscular anymore. And I might be like, oh, I wish I still looked like that. But if I say to myself, what do I actually value? And the actions I'd have to take to be like that, Mm -hmm. or the way that I would live my life whilst like that, would that actually fulfill me? And it wouldn't, it wouldn't. And we all value different things. So actually knowing what you value 
can be super helpful for that. And then accepting that it's not an overnight thing. Like this has been so deeply ingrained in us for decades, centuries, like as humans, that doesn't change overnight. And actually just having that compassion with yourself, like acknowledging you're human, you can't just change overnight and allowing yourself to repeat the same things over and over, like the same kind of techniques that we might create, repeat them. Like the most uncomfortable it's going to be is the first time you do it. And it's just going to get easier for there until it becomes your normal. So giving yourself that patience to just keep doing it. Yeah, I think that's so important to acknowledge as well. And I'm so glad you said that because I think a lot of us think that the if it's hard now, it's only going to get harder. Like, how could this possibly be easier? It's so difficult to do. And I keep failing at it. We, again, blame ourselves. We feel like we're failing at improving body image, improving relationship with food. And you're right. Like, it really does only get easier the more you repeat it. It's like habits. The more you do it, the easier it gets. Like, think, you know, learning to walk, learning to drive. How mind-blowing was that when we first started doing it? Mm -hmm. And look at you now walking around and driving around as if it's exactly. like, I mean, like zoning the hell out on a roundabout, like what, excuse me, how did I get it? <laughs> pilot and home and being like, cool, no one yeah. died. <laughs> and I think we so easily think that like, oh, it's only going to be so difficult. If it's difficult now, it's going to be difficult forever, but you're right. It does only get easier. And the, yeah. the occasions where you beat your body up or you, you know, think mean thoughts towards your body, they get fewer and fewer and is it far but few and far between whatever it is. Yeah. Uh-huh. They kind of lose their power as well. They're not quite as loud anymore. Yeah. Like they'll still happen, but you're able to be like, oh right, okay, whatever. Mm, like this is it. You can brush it off quicker. Mm-hmm. You can shift from it quicker. And I think that that's why I always say instead of getting rid of those negative thoughts or those nasty thoughts that you have you're just turning the volume down on them so you can shout louder and yeah that's important because it shows that you're not it's not going to go away mm-hmm. you just get so great at being able to be like shut up you silly bean do you know what mm-hmm. I mean and being able to kind of just brush it off and say oh what a fun, like what a silly thought to think uh-huh. instead of it being a um you then add shame to if, if you have a negative thought you look in the mirror right so many of my clients have done this in the past they'll look in the mirror they'll say something mean or they'll think something nasty and they'll be like god I look so xyz today mm-hmm. and then straight away they're able to catch themselves and go huh I wonder why I said that like have yeah. I stressed my you know and again going through that kind of emotion wheel I should probably put a resource in the thingy I know you love a good emotion wheel as well love love it you put that on your stories so often Mm -hmm. I have a question about that actually because I feel like that it's it's quite difficult especially for me in the past that I know my when whenever my therapist is like what are you feeling right now and I'm like bitch I don't know just let me tell the story like (laughs) I'm like I find it very difficult Mm -hmm. to connect to how I feel to connect I guess my mind and my body I see And I've had trouble in the past seeing them as two totally separate things. And actually they, they work together and they are you as a whole, they make up you as a whole, right? I see them as different things. How do we connect those two things together and really start understanding, acknowledging, naming, and therefore being able to work through the emotions that we feel? How do we understand how we feel on a deeper level? Mm -hmm. I think sometimes just taking the pressure off to get it right 
mm. can be really helpful in just trusting me a perfectionist taking the who? right excuse me all of, no like, I'm like, no wait I need to know if this is the right answer can you <laughs> my therapist is like Joe stop it I was like my like when my therapist would say it and like it'd be like so how do you feel and I'd say it and I'd just be like waiting for a bit of praise and it'd just be like okay and move on I'm like oh excuse you that's my validation um but yeah taking the pressure off to to get it right like when you look at things like the feelings wheel just like trusting yourself a wee bit trusting your instincts and knowing it's not a test it's not a case of you need to know spot on right now all we're doing is forming the habit of checking in and getting closer and looking at what's on the wheel and what stands out to you what do you feel most drawn to because you're the only one that knows how you feel like you're the only one that can get it right in that sense so it can't be wrong sorry this there seems to be <laughs> there seems to be a closed horse moving in the back do you know what it is it's probably there's someone it. behind it <laughs> It's not a ghost, is it? It's everything we were taught. It's the cows. It's the ghost cows. Um, it's my is it the dog? No. I gen- I was so convinced it was your brother. I was like, that's not. <laughs> it was your dog. No, it's your dog. <laughs> he just ran out on all fours. So I mean, it's your dog. <laughs> because... Um, Cause the fire's on, it's like prime opportunity to dry the dog towels. So he's just like, cause he's here just now, he's like, I'll be helpful looking for that validation. And he's just wheeling the towels through so they'll, they'll dry for my dogs. That is so, so funny. What, a, what an angel. Um, And there's Blue just opened the door, his dog. But yeah, anyway, taking the pressure off, getting it right, taking the pressure off, like I need to know exactly what I'm feeling. And sometimes our bodies will pick up on our feelings before we consciously will because mm-hmm. none of you, like who was taught to regulate their emotions who was taught to name them like no one when you were crying as a child no one says say what feeling do you think you're feeling where do you think you can feel it getting used to when you recognize you feel a certain way noticing how that feels in your body can help you recognize that later so like I won't always consciously recognize that I'm getting a bit stressy but I'll notice that I've been chewing my cheeks. I'll notice that my shoulders are coming up to my ears. Like, our bodies tell us quite a lot. And just kind of trust yourself to be drawn to something. Don't worry if it's right or not. It's only for you anyway. It's not, you're not trying to get a mark for it. And notice how your body's feeling and what that might mean. Mm, I, do you know, I honestly, like, Han, I struggle with that so much because I'm so, I am, I like genuinely so disconnected from that. Um, mm-hmm. But I do find it so interesting that like, we know, like if I'm crying or if I'm about to cry, my throat, I obviously get the lump in my throat, but my throat feels so like tight and funny and strange. And I, I can never mm-hmm. understand why. And then I'm like, I'm about to fall in tears. <laughs> And, and it's always the same thing. And I get that tight chest, you know, that anxious chest yeah. and things like that. And it's so interesting that your your body really does know what the bloody hell is mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. Um, and so when we can listen to it, when we can acknowledge what's going on there, again, we can name that emotion, we can name that feeling. And then we, we get to soothe the feeling or we get to 
move through the feeling rather than squash it down, squash it down, squash it down, pretend it's not there, change the body instead, mm-hmm. everything's fine. And then you just go back to feeling the feeling again, right? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And like, I very much felt that in therapy a lot because I have BPD, borderline personality disorder, which is an absolute tongue twister for me. So (laughs) would have loved a different one, but beggars can't be choosers. And that's what he gave me. So (laughs) it's a gift from my mother. Kidding on, wasn't her. Um, Like, what I really loved was I was terrified of my emotions because they were kind of like emotions on roids. And I'd say I'm quite an emotional person anyway, out with it, which like I know we've talked about, and especially as girls, you're told you're too much quite a lot or too sensitive right. for feeling your emotions. They just like shut them off. Or maybe they feel unsafe because you have been told at home or in previous relationships why you crying stop that you're being dramatic you really learn how to shut them off to the point because they feel so unsafe but we become pros at ignoring them and we become professionals at repressing them and we think if I repress them if I ignore them I can be one of these people that's like I don't feel feelings I don't even know what they are but they're under there working like they have a physiological effect on your body even if you don't want to look at them a really common way that we tend to fight against our bodies. And I feel like I'm the queen of this the last couple of weeks because I've been poorly. But I know I hear this a lot and it's a really common theme where like we're angry at our bodies Mm -hmm. if we get poorly or we get injured. Like if you've been going to the gym and you've been smashing it and then you, you, I don't know, pull a muscle and then you've got to rest and recover and chill. Mm -hmm. And we find, we feel so much resentment towards our bodies because of that or let down by our bodies in some way Yeah, because we feel like our bodies are failing us. And I know a couple of my clients have had, ill health or some disabilities and it's very especially when we talk about body image right and we talk about body functionality and everything our body can do and does for us and and finding gratitude and finding um appreciation for our bodies especially when they we feel like they've let us down in some way mm-hmm. How can we work with our bodies during those times to to make sure we're still compassionate, to make sure we're still working towards an improved body image for ourselves? Mm -hmm. That is one of my favourite, favourite things to work with because a lot of my clients, I love it, it's honestly my favourite, a lot of my clients have like endometriosis or PCOS or they've had injuries or chronic illness and that's that is a a theme that they come with that they are so used to doing. And the very kind of first step that we look at is sometimes, especially something that you've believed for so long, we need to challenge that with actions before the belief comes. So you kind of need to do the thing before you believe that you deserve to do the thing in that sense. So what we do is we reframe it and we continue to reframe it to ourselves every time we notice ourselves being like, oh, my body's letting me down. We go, nope, I'm not talking to myself like that. I wouldn't talk to anyone else like that. My body's doing her best and she's supporting me through this. Remembering that your body is your team and your body's one job in this world is to keep you alive. That is literally everything she ever does is towards keeping you alive. She heals your wounds. She fires up the immune system when you get a cold. Everything she does is to keep you living. So 
remembering that she is there for you. Everything you're going through, she's going through as well. And something that's so simple as well, stop calling your body it and start Mm -hmm. calling it she or her or he or him or they or whatever feels comfortable. But start, start acknowledging it as more than just an object. Start acknowledging it as something that you want to look after and that looks after you. And what I get my clients to do quite a lot, which I do with myself because I let it slip sometimes, is you would not stay in a relationship that was so unbalanced where you're always giving and never getting anything. And you and your body are a relationship. So checking in at the end of the day and saying to yourself, what has my body done for me today? And what have I done for her? And there is a bloody million things that your body's done from circulating your blood to letting you talk on a podcast, giving you those functions to have these conversations. She's done so much. The things that you care about, like the dogs. I cuddled my dogs because of my body. I can feel that because of my body. And what have I done for her? Right, I've given her some vegetables. I've drank my water. I've given her a shower. Like going through that as to how has she looked after me and how have I looked after her? And something that I find useful is viewing your body as if it's your favourite person. So the favorite, your favourite person in your life, how would you treat them when they were ill? Give your body that energy. Like, how can you help her through that? And one of my clients is was honestly like the poster child for this other week. She was incredible where it was like advanced body image flexibility. She has IBS and she gets really bad bloating sometimes. And she'd been really bloated for a couple of weeks and it was getting her down. It was frustrating her. She felt uncomfortable, but she was still being able to be like, I know my body's going through this as well. I know she's trying to move this along for me. She's doing her best. So how can I help her? I'm going to have a warm bath. I'm going to eat some fiber. I'm going to like get a hot water bottle, wear comfy clothes. Even if you do feel a bit angry, even if you are not quite believing yet that she's your teammate, treat her like your favorite person. Do the actions because sometimes they have to come first. Go and do the things that support her through being unwell. That is incredible. Like I freaking love that of treating. And, you know, we always say as well of like, you know, treating your body the way that you would treat your best friend. Like you would never say those things to your best friend. You would Mm. never do that to your best friend. And yet we, we constantly do when it comes to your body. So I think, yeah, you're so right. Being able to give your body back the things that your body gives you like being Mm. able to kind of make it a joint relationship you know a two-way street the I think the problem that we've got is so many of the things we do to look after our body because of the way fitness has gone these days Mm. because of the way the health kind of market is we actually feel like a lot of those things we do to look after our body aren't things to give our body their punishments. So Mm -hmm. eating vegetables, being healthy, you know, going for a walk, training, moving our body. We now don't actually see, like, you know, if you order a salad and water, for example, at a restaurant, people are like, oh, she's on a diet. Do you know Uh what I mean? It's, It's, if you treat your body with respect and love and care and attention and feed it the nutrients and, you know, nourish it, that's actually seen as a punishment nowadays. And it's seen mm-hmm. as something um, to 
purely to get a physique goal or purely to be on a diet, for example, you know, think about it, the walking vegetables, protein, fiber, all of these things. If you do that, you're, it's, it's seen as a chore now. Mm-hmm. So how do we reframe that to be actually, no, this is, this is what your body needs every day. This is just the stuff that you should be doing to look after your body. Mm-hmm. How do we reframe that from being, I'm doing this because I'm on a diet and I need to change my body in because it, you know, it's some form of punishment or chore. How do we move that from that to God, I deserve to love and nourish and feed my body and fuel my body. And this is the way that I get to do it, you know, to actually be a positive thing rather than a negative. How do we do that? Mm -hmm. That's such a good point because it's so, so true. It's kind of become like, it's, it's not the action that's a problem. It's the intention and it's the, the, the reasons that we're doing it or the stories we're telling ourselves around it. And it does become that. It's like, if you want this body, you have to do this. And because you have to do it and because you do see it as a punishment, you begin to resent it and you won't do it. And it's another reason why if you don't look a bit deeper and you may well just have an aesthetic goal because that's what you want. Cool. But out with that, if you don't look a bit deeper, you're going to resent doing things for a goal that doesn't actually matter to you. You just think you should do it. You think you need to do it. You're going to resent that. And really repeatedly reframing it to yourself where you're like, oh, I need to eat these vegetables. Saying to yourself, well, I get to eat these vegetables. I get to give my body the nourishment from them. I know this one simple task can literally reduce my risk of disease, make me live longer, give me longer with my kids all these different things, understanding the benefits and focusing on giving yourself credit for those small things rather than everything, always looking towards this much later goal, rather than being like, I need to do these things to get here, saying to yourself, I really enjoyed those veg, make sure you eat veg you enjoy, Uh, I'm going to go a walk with my best pal and I'll really enjoy it, understanding that you get to do them everything's a choice and you don't have to you don't have to do them you get to and I think framing things in a way that actually become important to you is important as well because the example I use quite a lot is one of my clients she like she was told by the doctor that she had to lose weight to reduce her risk of like x y and z that were family illnesses and because it wasn't happening to her right now she couldn't really connect with it she was like nah cool I will one day but because we then found a way to make it matter now so she wanted to be able to like go to theme parks with her kids and do these different tasks that she wouldn't get out of breath with she'd be able to go on the rides that became important to her and it was the exact same actions it was the same goal she was still losing weight for health but it was for a reason that she wanted it wasn't because she should do it or she had to do it it was because it was important to her for this reason that mattered. Yeah, and I think that's why it's so important to be working in line with your values and to be looking at what those even are because I am, like, we've mentioned values a few times in, in one way or another in this podcast episode and I know there's going to be a lot of people sitting there going, I've got absolutely no idea, like, what I really value. Mm-hmm. And sometimes even, I, like, I've done values work a bajillion times and even then they shift or... I noticed that one of the values I did pick up and I did kind of hold as a core value is actually not 
that. It's what I assumed other people expected me to have. You know, for example, health. Mm -hmm. I use it as an example so often because I genuinely think so often not a lot of us have the value of health. Mm -hmm. Something else. So, for example, your client her value seems to be more like family and yeah, time exactly. her family mm-hmm. rather than health. Because if you tell her you need to do this for your health, she's switched off. If she, mm-hmm. she said, but you get to go to your th- like the theme parks with your family, she's suddenly all on board. Like, yeah, bitch, I'm going to do the, the stuff. Do you know what I mean? So exactly. really finding what you find important. And I do this with my, even my mentoring clients with business. It's like, find what your client's values are and they will do the things so much more. We've got a special guest on the podcast. Would you like to say hello, Evie? Sorry, that was her, like, cause I had the audacity to move her. She was just like, no. Hello, baby. I I feel like I should start doing video versions of these podcasts because that closed horse movement was probably (laughs) the best thing that's ever happened in the history of ever. You know what it was? It was him sliding in behind it and then get out in all fours like just being like I wasn't even here I genuinely thought because I saw the run at the bottom of the screen and I was like oh it wasn't a human it was a dog doing it that's so good they're just like really well trained they do my washing (laughs) for me I know I love I'd love Rodney to do my washing (laughs) and but yeah so values I think are so freaking important when it comes to figuring out exactly why you're doing something and like you said the intention behind it rather than just the action I think so many of us just do the action to get to a goal without really digging deep on why they want to do the action in the first place because it's so easy for us to go I don't want to do this I don't like I can't be bothered to go to the gym I don't want to have to eat vegetables every single day I just want to get a takeaway and it's like okay you could do that but how would that actually make you feel? It's like, it's not just for the physique goal. Like, you know, getting a balanced diet, balanced, you know, meals in, getting vegetables in and, and eating the nutrients that your body needs isn't actually to get to a physique goal. It's annoyingly the way you need to live your life to be an adult and to be a mm-hmm. human. And we again, we have that resentment for it of like, oh, I don't want to eat vegetables. Like vegetables are so boring. And it's like, okay, great. But why do we value eating those vegetables? What's that going to give us in the long run and in the short term? Do you know what I mean? It, like, mm-hmm. how's that going to make us feel by the end of the day? Like you said, being able to, I think that's a really important question to ask yourself, being able to check in with your body and say, right, what have I done for her today? You know, mm-hmm. how have I supported her today and I don't think we asked that question enough and I don't think a lot of us could answer that question easily enough mm-hmm. and so give me like three things that you you would kind of not tell but encourage should we say your clients to do daily to mm-hmm. make sure you are doing something for your body to support your body's health and happiness and and an importantly, uh, an improved body image and improved relationship with food. Give me three things mm-hmm. that you would do to help your clients. So one of my one of my favorite things to get them to do first of all is to actually acknowledge the things they're already doing, as looking after their body. So brushing your teeth, putting your seatbelt on when you get in the car. You're telling your body you deserve to be protected if mm-hmm. I crash. Like putting SPF on. I hope everyone's doing it. Putting yeah. that on you deserve to be protected from the elements. Like having a wee drink of water when you're thirsty, that should be like, there you go, body, there's your water. Things that you already do, putting your hospital appointments or doctor's appointments, getting sexual health checks, like having sex, all these different things that 
are gifts to your body already. We're just not acknowledging them. Like you've got ready-made opportunities there to feel better. All you have to do is give them a bit of attention. And then the things that, hmm, what's the kind of main ones? I usually get my clients to look at ways to nourish our movement of some kind and consciously acknowledge that, nourish her with nutrition of some kind. And that can be, Maybe one day you nourished her with taste. Like you just gave her something really tasty that wasn't particularly nutrient dense, but you were like, I know you really want this taste. Here you go. Maybe you did have vegetables. Like it doesn't have to be difficult. It can be having a shower and saying to your body, like you deserve general hygiene. There we go. Like it doesn't have to be super hard. Gentle walks, give her a stretch at your desk. Keep it easy. Do you know what as well? Like it's like so many of those things, even the things you've just listed off. It's like I always use the sunscreen one as an example because it's obviously mm-hmm. you know research that wearing sunscreen is actually shown to be mm-hmm. positively associated associated with body image with improved body image. Mm-hmm. And but things like wearing your seatbelt, you just don't even think about that being. Oh well, I do this to protect myself. It's like. Yeah well I do it because it's the law it's like no Mm -hmm. you do it to protect yourself and like you said you know stretching at the desk all of those things I think we don't acknowledge those enough so right now listening your homework is to write a big list of all of the things you're doing right now in your day write all the things that say let's break it down to the day write Mm -hmm. all the things you did today to make to acknowledge the you are doing something towards your body. So all the things that you've done for your body today, I want you to write a big fat list and I want you to DM me and Katie. I'll put our links in the show notes. I want you to DM us with a picture of that list so that we can see you've done it and we can celebrate you for celebrating your body. That's your homework. Do you know, see even listening to the podcast, see even if you've had earphones in and you were like, "Mm, that's a bit loud and turned it down, right there, you've just protected her. You've been able to be like, is that too loud for your ears? I'll make it more comfortable. Last question. I always ask this same question to every single guest that comes onto this podcast. Mm-hmm. So my question to you, I always feel like I'm like overselling this last bit of like, oh, drum roll. Do you know what I mean? Who wants to be a millionaire-esque? Like, Final question. You can find a friend. <laughs> <laughs> if you could give one piece of advice that every single woman on the planet could hear, what would it be? Oh, for everyone, really, because I, I do, I coach men as well. I think I just quite often go into talking about women in general, but for everybody, there is no certain way that you need to be, whether that be who you are as a person or how you look. There's no certain things that you need to be doing. And there's no such thing as being too much or not enough. We all very much exist within a spectrum of that. And you have the responsibility to be and also the power to be whoever you want and feel however you want regardless of what social media or telly or anything else tells you you should be doing or you should feel there is no set way yay I love that (laughs) I'm literally I mean typical me because I'm constantly like my one of my deep fat core ingrained beliefs mm-hmm. are like I am either too much and and actually at the same time not enough because yeah. too much Do you know what I mean I have this like battle of like 
I constantly, I'm so emotional. I'm so, people always call me so overdramatic. And do you know what I mean? All of these things that make me feel like, oh, I'm too much for you. Mm-hmm. And like, I just have to keep reframing that as like, cool. For you. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, for you. That That's the, that's the, instead of somebody, if someone says to me, you're too much or you're too this or you're too that, I'm like, okay, cool. That's fine. Because I know that the, the for you happens on the end of that. Yeah. Like, I know that I'm not going to be accepted and, you know, you know, accepted by every single person. I know that not every single person is going to be cool with the vibe and sound sick. Mm-hmm. You go find your people and I'll stick with my people. And like, that's okay. Exactly. It's, it's a hard, it's a hard pill to swallow, especially for people that are people pleasers. You know, I'm definitely a recovering people pleaser. Mm -hmm. And I know that like, I want everyone to totally be like, yeah, Joe's the best person in the whole world. What's that saying? Like you could be the juiciest peach in the world and people still aren't going to like, not everyone loves peaches. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Being okay with that and being okay with the fact that if, as long as you are yourself, your people get to find you. Whereas mm-hmm. if you're constantly squashing yourself into a box of what other people expect you to be, then you're never going to find your people. You're never going to really feel true to yourself. And that's where your authenticity, that's where your, you, your you-ness can't shine through. How would you, as a last question, how would you go about finding more of your you-ness and being able to just wholly accept yourself like on a deep level without having that like I'm too much I'm not enough I know that that's one of the the biggest kind of deep-rooted beliefs we have about ourselves what's like one thing you would do to start being okay with that being acceptant of that Mm -hmm. I think something that sounds so simple but really helps me as well is just accepting that we are going to feel uncomfortable like that is going to happen and remembering that everything does pass quite like with emotions especially sometimes I think they're so distressing because we're so desperate looking for a how can I make this person like me how can I feel better when really just remembering that it's not going to last is really really helpful like it is going to pass by and something that I really like if you are a people pleaser and you're struggling to get to know yourself and accept yourself because you're constantly trying to portray what you think everyone else wants I know you're doing that because you want to connect with people you want to feel connected but whenever you people please you're putting more space in between you you're putting more distance in between you because you're stopping them getting to know you they don't know you because you're being whoever you think people want you to be and a lot of the time that comes from mind reading no one's actually told us like for a fact there would have been a time we would have been like oh my god I'm going to be late this person hates me like we would have absolutely broke her back to be bang on 12 but we're very much able to be like look I'm not going to be bang on 12 and because we didn't mind read because we've not been like Joe's going to hate me or Katie's going to hate me because we've actually communicated it we're like sound a lot of our worries over people won't like me is our own anticipation and our own mind reading and asking yourself, is this me mind reading? Has anyone ever told me that? If they did, does it really matter? And sometimes an exercise of predicting what you think is going to happen and then challenging that belief and then writing what did happen and kind of doing a conclusion on that can be really helpful. So like, I'm going to communicate a boundary to this person 
and I think they're going to absolutely hate me and never be my friend again. And then you write down what does happen and you're like, I felt a bit uncomfortable, but actually they were sound and they were like, thanks for telling me that. So what that's shown me is people won't hate me for being me. People yeah. won't hate me for telling the truth. Like yeah. actually writing down your prediction, physically challenging it, and then reviewing that as to right, well, what did happen is so good for building that evidence and allowing that to be balanced. Like in therapy, they're kind of called like hot thoughts and balanced thoughts. Hot thoughts are like the kind of distressing ones of everyone's going to hate me. And what we want to do is we don't want to toxic positivity them and be like, no, everyone loves me. We want to be able to balance them and be like, some people won't like me, but this has shown me that some people will. Mm. Like allowing yourself to have that balance. You don't you don't need everyone to like you. You don't boring. <laughs> I love what you said about um being able to challenge that thought and having that that portfolio of actually I'm not such a shitbag because look at all of these reasons why. Mm-hmm. And and being able to say actually, A, this could happen, this result, this outcome, this conversation could end end this way. But what else could happen? And I think Mm -hmm. the default mode we go to is always the worst case scenario of, you know, like you said, I say, oh shit, I'm going to be late. She's going to think I'm a total dickhead. She's going to think I don't respect her time. She's going to hate me forever. She's going to cancel the podcast or whatever. Mm -hmm. I could have gone on this spinny narrative of everybody hates me and I'm the worst human alive. Mm -hmm. What else could be true? What else could be the outcome here? Could she she could totally text and be like, oh my God, Sam, thank God. Like, mm-hmm. thank God you took an extra hour because I really needed to get the washing done. Like, do you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, actually, what else could be true here? Just simply asking yourself if that moment hasn't happened yet and you still want to calm your, your nerves of what might happen in that scenario, you get to just ask yourself what else could be mm-hmm. the outcome and that isn't so detrimental, that isn't so horrific. And therefore the outcome might might be, yeah, she thinks I'm total shitbag and she never wants to see me ever again. Mm-hmm. Like if that's the case, great. You get to go to that, okay, this might happen and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And having that acceptance that this is okay, rather than it being like just always worst case scenario, always just like the anxiety and the building things up in your mind to be, you know, horrific, when yeah. actually, like, I, 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 like catastrophic thoughts, mm-hmm. rather than it just being like, okay, well, what's like another alternative here? What's another mm-hmm. option? And like you said, then when you build up the evidence that actually things haven't been the worst thing in the world, I think a lot of it comes back to as well, past experiences. If you've been late before, you like, say, for example, I was in a toxic relationship. If I was late, I would be like, we'd end up in a massive row about it. Mm-hmm. So then anytime I'm, or so a really good example of this, one of my ex-boyfriends is like, if I did something, if I put something in the wrong place or I did something, whatever, we would end up in a massive argument. It would be like, I'm the worst human in the world. I'd be calling these names. I'd then call him names and it'd be just, yeah, big toxic vibe. Now with Chris, we've noticed that I'll, I'll be putting away, like, I don't know, the food shopping. And I'll be like, do you want this sauce in the fridge or the cupboard? And he's like, you ask me every single week. like, mm-hmm. And I'm like, but if I put it in the fridge by accident, or if I put it in the cupboard and it's the wrong decision, mm-hmm. I'm worried it gets in. And I know he would never, he'd be like, dude, like put it in the cupboard, you weirdo. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it, we, we've got this belief that because we do something a certain way and this was the outcome previously, the next thing is now going to be, the, the next time it happens with someone different, it's going to be the same outcome. Yeah, but, you know, that's not always the case. You know, I know that 
you're a different human to the other person that I was late for that hated me for it or whatever. Do you know what I mean? So I think being able to look at things instead of from that uh, past experience perspective, which is easy to do, right? You know, you've got, you've got that evidence that this is what's happened in the past. Think about all the times where you've done that and there hasn't been a repercussion or there hasn't been evidence against it. And again, start weighing up that, that evidence base of actually this is not always what happens. It's just, that's the most potent way it happened. That's the one that sticks in my mind because we tend to focus on the negatives or the, you know, the poor things that have happened. Yeah. I think something that I think is so empowering with that as well is realizing when you do have that evidence of, oh, well, I've done that before he shouted at me, being able to see that as evidence of he shouted, not that everyone shouts, Mm. being able to like really look at it as a bit of a defense lawyer where they will look for any wee wiggle room, being able to say the evidence was he shouts, not that everyone shouts. And reminding yourself that, which sometimes I think we're guilty for getting stuck in our ways and thinking, well, this is the way I am because of trauma or because of things that have happened. But if all the things that have happened up to now has shaped who we are now, there is no reason why what happens next or what we do now won't shape who we are in the future. There's no reason why that can't be true. So it's fine that that's done that now. We can control what happens next. And something that I love that I think is really good for that kind of anticipation fear of, oh, well, what if they shout and what if this happens, is Mark Williams, like one of the, if not the leader in like mindfulness practice and everything. And he spoke about how we have this primal instinct of fight or flight. We are, it keeps us, it was designed to keep us safe and all animals have it. And the difference between us and gazelles is that gazelles stop running once a lion's gone. Like if you watch any, I nearly said Charles Dickens, what's his name again? <laughs> David Attenborough. <laughs> so close. <laughs> you watch any Charles Dickens documentaries? <laughs> when he's just like kicking about. Like you see it, like gazelles are just grazing or zebras are grazing. A lion appears, they run for their lives. Someone gets caught or they don't and they just go back to eating the grass. That's it. That's how fight or flight's meant to work. But because of the world we live in, because of who we've become as a species, we we really amplify that with experiences and imagination and anticipation and all these other things. So we sit there, a lion comes, there's danger. And then after the lion's gone, you sit there for ages after being like, oh my God, what if he caught me? Or, or he could come back. Remember that time he was here? That means he's always going to be here. We have overrode this primal survival like technique basically survival mechanism within us and it's now our detriment so I think that can be really handy to remember as well is that we we do that being aware that you do that and being able to call yourself on it of am I still running after the line's gone here like do I actually have that evidence of that's what's happening or the evidence I do have is actually something entirely different Thank you so much for being here today, Boo. Where can people find you if they want to have a little stalk? Mostly, mostly Instagram. Uh, I'm fucking shocking at any other social media. I tried TikTok, can't do it. I am a grander. So Instagram is at CoachKatieFit underscore. And yeah, you can go in my, the links for everything else is in there. I've got a free emotional eating webinar. I've got podcasts, free weekly emails. My website's there, all that. All that good stuff. 
Yeah, I feel like your emails, I still need to sign up to your email list. I didn't do it. I feel like you sent me the link and I still haven't done it. So it's too late for me. Um, but I feel like your emails are like the space to mm-hmm. real get started. I, I, I know you're so good at kind of journaling and writing and getting your thoughts out. And I feel like that is a perfect space to real get to real ca- really capture you mm-hmm. and, and what you do and how you help your your people, your troops. Yeah. So I love this for you. Okay, I'm going to put all of your links in the show notes as always. Um, and if you guys want to reach out to Katie and work with her and heal your relationship with food and your body image and just feel like a, you're not fighting yourself anymore and you're not at war with yourself, drop her a DM, slide into the DMs. Um, and thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. It was the best. Thanks for putting up with the absolute chaos of my home as well. No, I love it. I'll um I'll send you a 10-minute voice note later, I'm sure. Love. Excited. Cannot wait. (laughs) Right, love you, babe. Love you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you super loved it. And if you did, don't forget to give this podcast a rating and review and share this to your Instagram story with the tag Thrive with Jojo so we can reach even more queens and help them take over their own world too. I'll catch you in the next episode.